In today's episode of the podcast, we are going way back in history. So I typically talk about contemporary women on the show, but I wanted to start highlighting some women that we've probably never heard about. And so today we are going all the way back in time to about the year 1200. And we are going to be talking about Razia Sultana or Razia Sultan, the first female Muslim ruler of the subcontinent of India and the only female Muslim ruler of Delhi. So born in 1205, Razia was the daughter of Shams Undin Itmish, the third sultan of Delhi, sultanite who was a Turkic slave. Her mother, Turkin Katan, was a daughter of Kupt al-Din al-Bik and the chief wife of Iltmish. She was the eldest daughter and probably the firstborn child. Although her father had groomed his eldest son to be his successor, his son did die unexpectedly in 1229. Ultimish believed his other sons were too absorbed in the pleasures of the world and would be incapable of managing the state of affairs after his death. When he left for his Gwalar campaign in 1231, Ultimesh left his daughter Razia in charge of Delhi's administration. She performed her duties so well that after returning to Delhi, Ultimesh decided to name her as his successor. He ordered his officer, Taljul Mook Mahad Dabir, to prepare a decree naming Razia as the heir apparent. When his nobles at the time questioned this decision because she was a woman and on the basis that he had surviving sons, he replied that Razia was more capable than his sons. However, after his death, the nobles would appoint his son, who was Razia's half-brother, Raknuddin Firuz, as the new king. It's possible that during his last years, Iltamesh had agreed to appoint his son as a successor. He had become seriously ill, and he was recalled from Lahore to Delhi. But there's also another possibility that it's a legend that Iltamesh nominated Razia in the first place as his successor, which was a false story circulated by her supporters after her ascension to the throne. Either way, her half-brother was not a good ruler and he left the control of the administration to his mother, Shah Turkan, who actually wanted to assassinate Razia. Together, they blinded and executed Iltamesh's popular son and combined with his mom's very heavy-handedness, there would be several rebellions by nobles and even the wazir, which is their prime minister, would join these rebels. The situation became worse when the Turkic origin slave officers who were close to Ranuddin planned killings of the Sultanate Tazik, which is the non-Turkic officers. This would lead to murders of several important Tazik officers, which ultimately would lead to Ruknuddin marching towards Quran to fight the rebels. At a congressional prayer, Razia instigated the general public against her stepmother, Shah Turkan, and a mob then attacked the royal palace and detained Shah Turkan. Several nobles and the army pledged allegiance to Razia and placed her on the throne, making her the first female Muslim ruler in South Asia. Ruknuddin marched back to Delhi, but Razia had sent forces to arrest him, and he was imprisoned and probably executed in November of 1236, having ruled for pretty much less than seven months. 
Not only was Razia's ascent to the throne of Delhi unique because she was a woman, but it was also because she had the general support of the public and it was a driving force behind her ascending to the throne. According to a 14th century text, she had even asked the people to dispose her if she failed to meet their expectations. She would go on to rule from 1236 to 1240, and her leadership was marked by efforts to establish an effective and just administration. She would try to strengthen the empire's borders and improve infrastructure. During her reign, the Shias revolted against the Sultanate, but that rebellion would be suppressed. In a major incident, the Shia Farmatans carried out an attack in Delhi. Their leader had earlier condemned the Sunni, Shafif, and Hanafif doctrines and had gathered nearly a thousand supporters from Delhi and other places. On March 5th, 1237, he and his supporters entered the mosque and started killing the Sunnis assembled there for their Friday prayers before being attacked by the citizens. During her reign in 1238, Malik Hassan Kualuf, the former governor of Ghazni, faced a threat from the Mongols at the time, and he would send his son to Delhi to probably seek a military alliance against the Mongols. And while Rasia did receive the prince and was nice to him and gave him money for his expenses, she ultimately refused to form an alliance against the Mongols. But of course, during this time, she's a female leader in a male-dominated society, and she faced numerous challenges. While she did ascend to the throne with the support of the general public, she did not have that support from the powerful Turkic origin provincial governors. She would continuously do things that would anger these nobles. For example, while initial coins were issued in her father's name, by 1237 to 1238, she had started issuing coins solely in her own name. And while she initially observed Puda, a screen that separated her throne from the courtiers and general public, and was surrounded by female guards, she would later start appearing in public dressed in traditional male attire, wearing a cloak and hat and doing away with a face veil. She even rode elephants through the streets of Delhi, making public appearances like earlier sultans before her had done. So of course, her ascension was challenged by nobles, some of whom would ultimately join her, but others were defeated. The nobles who initially supported her had expected her to be a figurehead and did not appreciate that she was increasingly asserting her power. This combined with her appointments of non-Turk officers to important posts led to this resentment that was building against her. Nazamul Muk, who was a Tazik, a non-Turk officer, and was the wazir, prime minister, and had held that post since her father's time, refused to accept her ascension to the throne. And he was joined by four other Turkic nobles who had also rebelled against Razia's predecessor, her half-brother, Ruknuddin. They would ultimately march against Razia from different directions and she would seek help from Malik Nusratuddin Tasi, whom she had appointed as the governor of Adwa. However, shortly after his crossing of the Ganges River on his way to Delhi, he would be captured by Kunshi's forces and he would die in captivity. Between 1238 and 1239, Malik Uzdin Kabar Khan Ayaz, the governor of Lahore, would rebel against Razia and she would march against him, forcing him to flee to Sadra, which was an area controlled by the Mongols. He would be forced to surrender and accept Razia's authority once again. 
Razia would also invite a Turkish slave purchased by her father to her court in Delhi, and she would make him Amir Hajib. She also would bestow favors upon other slaves of her father. And while she's out dealing with the governor of Lahore, Turkic officers were plotting to overthrow her. When she arrived in Delhi on April 3rd of 1240 and learned that they had rebelled against her and was unaware that these other nobles in Delhi had joined in this conspiracy against her, she would march towards the city Tabhirnda to defend her throne. However, there she would have her loyalists killed and she would be imprisoned. When the news of her arrest reached back to Delhi, the rebel nobles there appointed Mizduddin Bahram, another son of her father, to the throne. He would formally ascend the throne on April 21st, 1240, and the nobles would pledge allegiance to him on May 5th of that year. Again, these nobles expected him to be a figurehead and intended to control the affairs of the state through this newly created office, which is equivalent to like a regent. They would assign Iktutrudin Ichin to this new role, but the king would have him assassinated within one to two months of him ascending the throne. So the same noble who had initially rebelled against Razia wasn't really getting what he wanted out of this deal. His claims were being ignored. He wasn't able to appoint his people to important positions. And when the death of Iktatrudin Akjin occurred, he realized that there really wasn't any benefit to having overthrown Razia and decided to ally with her. She would see this as an opportunity to win back her throne and she would marry him in September of 1240. Those two would be supported by some other disgruntled Turkic nobles, but would ultimately fail. In September or October of 1240, an army would be led against them and they would be defeated on October 14th, 1240. They were forced to retreat and were deserted by their soldiers and were ultimately killed on October 15th, 1240 by a group of Hindus. She still to this day remains the only woman to have sat upon the throne of Delhi. Despite her short reign, Razia's rule is significant in Indian history for having broken gender norms at a time when it was inconceivable. Her leadership style, assertiveness, and attempt to break from traditional roles demonstrated her capabilities as a ruler. Her life story and her reign has been the subject of numerous stories, plays, and films. And her story continues to stand out as a testament to the challenges that she faced as a woman ruler in this patriarchal society. It should say something that over 800 years later, Razia still has been the only woman to sit upon the throne of Delhi. If you've never heard Razia Sultana's story, Hers is definitely one you should know. Thank you for joining me on an incredible journey through history with today's story. If you want to take a deeper dive into any of the women that I talk about on the podcast, you can visit historicallypodcast.com. There you can find additional resources and you can also let me know about women you want to hear about on the show. Make sure you subscribe to stay updated on future episodes and don't forget to leave a review and let me know how I'm doing. Thank you for being part of today's historical journey. And until next time, remember that her story is one you should know.